This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hi, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. We're going to talk today about distribution, which is the part of the publishing process where books get from the publisher to the stores. It's partially about shipping, but it's also how the stores know what books to order and how many to order. Julie Shaper from IPS Consortium Distribution, where she's the vice president, is here today to tell us all about it. Julie, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you started working with comics, and what you're doing now? Sure. I've been working in uh, distribution for almost 25 years, um, but my work with comics has been really in the last, uh, you know, five or six years. In terms of running consortium, um, I get I have a lot to do with the publishers that we distribute. And I was talking with a friend of mine, Eric Lorber from Rain Taxi, and you know, telling that I was interested in learning more about comics. So he basically set up a complete tutorial for me, including um, recommendations on on books to read, and also said that uh, he had a friend, uh, Tom Kay, that was actually looking for distribution for Uncivilized. So that confluence of events really um, got me interested in in comics. Um, I mean, I did have a little bit of experience before that. Um, we distributed No Brow for a while, um, and they had a a comics was part of what they did until they expanded more into children's books. But that's really you know where where that started, and you know since then you know we've we've added. Um, six or seven comic book publishers or comics publishers um, to our roster and it's it's something that I'm interested in in adding uh, to the types of publishers that that we distribute and how did you get started working in distribution it's such a fascinating part of publishing but also something where you know while I know people who kind of are like ah oh, yes I wanted to be a writer ever since I was a kid, or I wanted to be an editor. I don't know a lot of people who are like, ah, yes, when I was six years old, I went from wanting to be a firefighting ballerina to a book and comics distributor. I went through high school desperately wanting to solve the distribution problem for comics, and I dreamed of it every night. Like, you don't hear about that a lot. No, I mean I I'd started out in the book business in a kind of a standard way. I worked in a in a bookstore. Um, uh, I started out at a Barnes and Noble in Falls Church, Virginia, and then uh, when I went to grad school, I started working at a bookstore in Louisville, Kentucky. And after I got out of grad school, I st I was still working at the bookstore and uh, got offered a sales rep position for what was then called Putnam. And I worked for them for about a year. Um, and then uh, I, I actually didn't really like it all that much, but um, a friend of mine told me about another rep job with HarperCollins. And I ended up taking a job as a rep for HarperCollins. I was in the... Uh, Rochester, New York. And then from there, um, I ended up being tapped to be a children's sales manager in New York City. So I moved to the city, um, worked for Harper uh, for you know about four years in that role and also what they called a merchandise manager role. 
but I wasn't really liking what I was doing at that time. And I was looking for something else. I wasn't finding anything in New York, but I was traveling a lot. And um, I was in Minneapolis um, to call on a number of accounts for my, for my then job. And I heard about this job at consortium um, as a sales director. So um, I interviewed for the job. I got it. And I've basically been there ever since. Can you tell us a little about consortium as a distributor? Um, I think some of the people in comics know about Diamond. Uh, we also, in our last episode, talked to a sales rep who works with Barnes & Noble. But I feel like consortium as uh, like an, a distributor of a lot of small presses is in a really unique place in the industry. Yeah, I think we've always looked for interesting interesting publishers that fit together. Um, I mean, we have a really wide range, obviously, um, uh, many different types of publishers besides, you know, comics. But we've always had a literary sensibility. The foundations of consortium, uh, you know, came out of uh, literary publishing. And we've expanded quite a bit, you know, from there, it's hard to describe what our, what our sensibility would be. I mean, it starts with literary. Um, it's also mission driven. Uh, I think we also look for, um, publishers that are really creative and doing, um, you know, trying different things, maybe doing books that haven't been widely seen before. Um, and we also have uh, a, a fairly large number of publishers that come from outside of the U.S. So all of these things together are what makes up consortium. And, uh, you know, and we have publishers of all sizes. I mean, I guess a, a large publisher for for us would be, you know, probably three to five million. Wait, when you say three to five million, you mean dollars a year? Yes, because those kids—that's a lot of books. That's a lot of books. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of books, or it's somebody who who does um, some books very very well. Um, you know, a lot of times what what keeps a publishing company alive is books that backlist. Um, if you can't get books to backlist, it's hard to stay. You know, it's hard to stay in business. So, if there are authors listening to this episode who are like, okay, so publishers publishers books. And then they get into stores somehow. Presumably the distributor is distributing them. What would you tell them about, like, who are distributors? What do they do? Like, what is the distribution landscape like and what goes on? Sure. Um, I mean, distributors only work for a publisher. That's um, to sort of differentiate between a wholesaler. A distributor has, has a relationship with a publisher. And, you know, and our job for a publisher is to... Uh, sell their books into the accounts um, and to distribute them. So the the pick, pack, ship, bill, collect, um, take returns, all of that kind of stuff. So you have a warehouse. So we have a warehouse. That's very exciting. Yes. And that is usually what a, a publisher is looking for is they don't want to ship their books themselves anymore. <laughs> Um, and I, I actually think it's really good for a publisher to have that experience of having to distribute themselves so they understand how hard it is. It seems extremely difficult. Well, it, it, it is. Um, 
I mean, it's particularly difficult if you're doing it um, for yourself. I mean, it's one of the things that I admire about comics publishers is, you know, many, most, I would say, really are very well practiced in doing it themselves, um, you know, by going to shows and selling off of their website and, you know, building relationships either individually with bookstores, you know, or other wholesalers or places like Diamond. Gina is sitting about four feet away from my giant shelf of my boxes of my own books, actually, <laughs> of my the things that I printed myself that I have to keep in my house, uh, which is not including the extra boxes that my mom very kindly lets me keep rent free in her garage. Uh, not super convenient from a New York City apartment, no. it turns out. Deeply, deeply appreciate having other people take care of these things with my uh, with my other books. But as well as being the the warehouse and kind of the person who mails the books to other people, there's also a like a selling and making connections aspect to your job too. Absolutely, and it, and maybe it'd be um, you know easier for me to just give you kind of a. An, an outline of, you know, how, how it works. Perfect. Um, so, you know, once we, once we bring on a uh, publisher, if we've accepted them for distribution, we actually have them come to consortium in Minneapolis and they spend a day with us. And we talk to them about um, basically how we do things and why we do things the way we, we do them and what we want them to do, you know, to work in the best way possible with us. So the new publisher will meet with um, our sales department, our marketing department, um, you know, publisher services, operations, um, catalog, metadata people, um, and we'll go over all of that um, for for the day. Um, We also oftentimes do what we call a little um, mini pre-sales where we talk about their new titles. Once a publisher is already onboarded with us, w- the, the beginning of every season will start with a pre-sales meeting. And that's essentially where publishers have filled out tip sheets um, for their books. And we have a scheduled meeting with them to talk about their new list and go over everything from all their basic metadata. So pricing, um, covers if they have it, uh, their description of the book, uh, their comps, um, what, what their book is similar to, um, their marketing plans, their key sales points. We'll basically go over all of that um, in a pre-sales meeting. After pre-sales, you know, publishers go back, they update the information um, and also work with our um, metadata department uh, to get all of that information correct. So what is metadata? Metadata is um, all the basic information about a title. So the title, the author, the price, the page count, um, let's see. The BISAC codes, uh, whether it's color or not. Yep. All that stuff, whether it has, yeah, does it have photographs? Um, what kind of illustrations? Is it illustrations throughout? And as you say, black and white or color, or is it mixed black and white and color? The more the more detail that you can provide on metadata, the easier it is to find online, which is kind of where metadata is, is 
absolutely crucial. Yeah. And that's important both for uh, online book sales at, you know, barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com, but then also for anyone that you're selling the book to, to find out information about the book. So if like a library, or if you're sending the book to a different distributor or um, a, a library system, they're like, okay, we need to know if the books we're buying are fiction or nonfiction. Right, right. They need to know the category. It, I mean, you should have four bisacks at least. You know, the more the more detailed you can be about the information that's in the book, putting keywords in your um, in your descriptions, um, all of those things are going to help a book be found in all these places that we want to sell to. So once we all have all that information um, in our system, it uh, it goes out into the world. We still do a printed catalog, but we also use Edelweiss, which is a digital catalog that most uh, retailers, book retailers use to buy, at least independent retail. Um, and some libraries are, are starting to use it as well. Um, then we have a sales conference, and that's where our publishers are invited to a sales conference to present their books to our sales reps. We have that uh, twice a year in either New York um, or Minneapolis, although about every second or third year we have it in uh, Laverne, Tennessee, where Ingram is located. Um, and Ingram is another distributor. Ingram is another distributor. They're also, just to make this a little more confusing, they are also a wholesaler. <laughs> oh no, what is that? Well, a wholesaler is a company that buys all kinds of books. So they'll buy books from consortium, from Random House, from anyone that, that they feel like they can sell that company's books, they will buy those books. So that's different from a distributor in that a distributor only handles exclusively an individual publisher, not the whole range. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it sounds like... Diamond Comics is probably a distributor as well as a wholesaler, which is not a distinction that I had ever kind of thought out in my mind before. That's true. They used to be more of a wholesaler, but now they do both. I have a really specific question, which is that, so I've actually never seen the interface for Edelweiss because I keep forgetting to go look it up, <laughs> which is great because you can now explain it on the podcast. So like, is it basically like a shopping cart type thing? Like if I'm running a bookstore and I'm like, I would like to have some Iron Circus comics mm -hmm. to sell at my bookstore. Do I just go to Edelweiss and like search for them and then add them to my bookstore's cart and check out? Like, how does that, because presumably I could be getting stuff from more than one distributor in the yeah, same? So, okay, how does this work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, uh, I mean, Edelweiss is becoming kind of an industry standard electronic catalog. Um, not everybody, not everybody is optimized so that orders can be taken. For Ingram, for example, stores order from what they call iPage, which is a different, which is a proprietary platform of, of Ingram, where you can both place orders for wholesale and place direct orders. So for consortium, you can 
place a direct order um, of just consortium titles, or you can order from the wholesale side and you can order, you can order from um, every other publisher that's out, out in the world. So crazy to me. Yeah. So like if I'm at a bookstore, do I have a bunch of different software I'm potentially using to stock my store? Mostly people are using Edelweiss to to find titles or to be shown titles when they're working with a sales rep. Mm-hmm. And those, those books can be put into an ordering system by the sales rep. Okay. Thank you. So it's like an, it is just like an online catalog so that people can browse and find things and not have a paper thing sitting on their desk. Exactly. Thank you for explaining this to me. I wanted to make sure that I actually, this has gotten thrown around a lot in recent episodes and I realized I did not actually understand what it was. So thank you. Okay. Well, happy, (laughs) happy to clarify. I always assume that if I don't understand, probably at least two thirds of the people listening to this podcast also don't understand. (laughs) So I should just own up to it. Okay, so you were saying about your sales conference. Uh, sometimes it's in Laverne, Tennessee. Sometimes it's in Minneapolis, and sometimes it's in New York. So this May it'll be in it will be in New York, and sales conferences is where our salespeople find out about the books. They obviously also get what we call tip sheets, and that's where all the metadata goes on to a tip sheet. So they have basic information going into the conference, but this is where um, you know publishers can do themselves a favor or not, depending on how if they're good presenters or not. Um, because the the whole idea is to get the sales force excited about the about the books, and some of them they're going to get excited about just because they're interested in an author, they're interested in a topic, um, they like that particular publisher. But the presentation is is where. Um, Publishers can influence the reps and get them, you know, get them more excited about the books or get them thinking about a book that they hadn't thought very much about in their initial run through. So is this this is the publishers coming and making presentations to consortium sales reps. Correct. And we have both in-house salespeople and then we also have a field sales force that's made up of commission reps, most of whom we've worked with for mm, over 20 years. And commission reps means that they work on commission, right? So like they get a percentage of however many books they sell. And if they, you know, don't sell many books that season, they get paid less. That's true. Um, But they also see their job as as selling the right books um, to booksellers. One of the key attributes of salespeople is they generally know that bookstore really well. They they know the owner, they know the buyer, they know the staff, and they know what kinds of things that store can sell. Because every, every store is a little bit different. Um, and we really rely on our sales reps to understand what those stores are interested in, what they like to buy. And, you know, on occasion, obviously they can slip in their favorites or they may know that um, a certain book is a big book and and they should push it a little harder if they think it can work for that store. But it doesn't do them any good to oversell um, because the returns just come back and it hits them on the back end. They want to sell the right books as much as possible. Are the sales reps... A consortium, either your in-house people or your people who are working in commission, do they all have a specific kind of set 
subsection of bookstores that they're responsible for? Like, is it, are bookstores going to be working with more than one person, a consortium? Like, how is that kind of organized? For our in-house reps, we have in-house reps for Baker and Taylor, wholesaler, Ingram, another wholesaler, Barnes and Noble, um, you know, chain uh, retailer, and Amazon. Then on our field side, they're they're all um, organized by region. So we have a um, a, a New England Mid Atlantic group. We have a group that's the Southeast down through Texas. Um, we have a Midwest group, and we have a sort of a West Coast group that's California, the Pacific Northwest, and um, a number of other Western states like say Montana. Um, but everything's broken up by region and each region is covered by that group of sales reps. Let's say, how do I explain this? Um, each group has a head of, um, of the group and covers a set number of states. And then within that group, there are individual reps that cover certain states. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Also, I really appreciate you explaining this. This is super interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you're at sales conference, the people, the publishers are coming in, and they pitch their books, and the sales reps get excited to talk about them. What happens then? Then the sales reps hit the road. Some of the national accounts are actually called on in some cases, um, you know, even before sales conference in some cases. Um, But basically, after sales conference, which happens in May, the reps get all their materials together, um, you know, galleys from publishers, um, anything they might need to sell with. um, And they write up their notes in Edelweiss. There's a note taking function um, where they can write about, they actually usually fill these things in oftentimes during sales conference. And then afterwards, they talk with the whole group and and decide if there are additional notes that go in there that will help them sell the books, you know, that the other reps have have either read or thought about. And then they're uh, hitting the road, you know, typically in their cars and going from um, independent bookstore to independent bookstore to, to sell books. And how how do you communicate about what they're doing with the publishers and how do the publishers communicate with you if anything happens after their sales conference presentation? I mean, we basically have a a group email that we tell publishers if something's happening in terms of marketing or publicity that we need to know about, you know, send it to us and send it to us as soon as as you know about it. Uh, Because, I mean, even though we think we know what books are going to be the most successful, um, we're not always right. We, there are always things that come out of left field, that you don't know are going to happen. Awards are the most obvious thing, but there, you know, if an if an author is really good on social media or is a really good promoter of their book, or the book ends up being super topical. Um, I mean, we had a situation when Trump was elected. We had a backlist title called "Hope in the Dark" from Rebecca Solnit, you know, and it was it was selling maybe three or four thousand copies a year. And, you know, we ended up selling, I think, 60,000 copies um, after Trump was elected. You can't plan something like that. Or um, last year, 
one of Iron Circus's titles as the crow flies got a Stonewall Award. Yes. Which is not something that ahead of time you're like, okay. And and that's the tricky thing. You don't you don't know. So then you're in a situation where you have to have you may have to reprint. Um and you know, then you want to try to hold on to I mean the fortunate thing about libraries is they typically we'll keep that order in place. It won't be canceled the way it will sometimes at retail because it's of that moment. Yeah. But with an award, it has more longevity and people are willing to wait for that reprint to come in. Um, but yeah, that's a great example. I mean, because it, it probably, I don't know, quadrupled or sale sales on that title. That's amazing. Yeah. So Obviously, you you keep distributing a book, right? So, you know, you said that that Rebecca Solnit book, which had been yeah. out for a while, like, how how does that work? Like, do you start having less of a quantity in your warehouse? Do you kind of keep going out and selling books? Do you kind of like re-solicit them to stores and talk about them if they become topical? Yeah, like how much is storage an issue? Like, do you have to clear things out of your warehouse because you need to be moving other things in? Like, well, it is it is a, a big a big concern, and um, you know, one of the things that we are talking to publishers about all the time because. Publishers' books are their babies, you know, and even when they're not selling, it's like there's a cost associated with them to make that book, and it's it tends to be really hard for them to give it up. And so basically, we have to coerce them to get rid of their books oh, um, no. by, char- by charging warehouse fees for excess. So if the book is selling, you know, typically we're not going to charge you we're not going to charge you for it. But if a book is just sitting there, I mean, literally there are situations where where you have, you know, 10 years of inventory, 30 years of inventory. um, And the likelihood of your being able to move that any faster than that is probably not real strong because there is this cycle that has accelerated now, you know, in our culture where it's like people are always wanting the next thing. And, so unless that book established itself, you know, or something happens to set it off on a trajectory, it slows down and, and it can just sit. Um, and every book is different in that respect. You know, there are, there are books that take off and continue to sell year after year. And the, there are those that sold really well. And then the next year they're down by half. And then the next year they're down by a quarter. And, um, you know, they, they may reach a level, you know, of, of sale that's regular every year. I mean, we have, we certainly have books like that. That's kind of the Holy grail in a way is, is having a book that backlists and that people want year in year out at some level. But if people don't want that book, then we have to encourage publishers um, to to get rid of the the excess inventory because we're happy to have books that we can continue to sell, but there's not endless amounts of space in any warehouse. So if that happens, do you mail it back to the publisher? Do you deeply discount it? Does it get pulped or donated someplace? Like I'm sure it varies, but it, yeah, all, it can be all of all of those things. It it really just depends on on where what are the opportunities for that particular book in in terms of reducing inventory. And some publishers want their inventory back, but 
you know, sometimes it's just too much for anybody to to store, you know, unless you're using your mother's garage or, you know, <laughs> or buying, a, buying a, or, you know, paying for a monthly storage unit somewhere. And it's, you know, it's a tough conversation, but it's, it's, it's necessary as a distributor because every year we have new books being, you know, being published. And we also want to be as efficient as possible as a distributor and make sure the books get where they're going without having to sort through lots of dead stock. Um, it just, it tends to gum up the works. So that's another thing. Like, how was your warehouse organized like is it is it like a lot of really big tall steel shelves with boxes on them is it like pallets and forklifts like do robots get them like how does this even work yeah we don't really have robots but we do have uh you know pallets forklifts shelves that go up to the ceiling and then there'll also be picking shelves where you put smaller quantities of books so they can be, you know, picked quickly, you know, put on conveyors into boxes and, you know, move it, moving out the door. This is so interesting. So like if, if a bookstore just wants one copy of one book, they don't have to get the whole pallet down and like open it up and get the one book out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on the other hand, if there's an author event and somebody buys a carton, you know, then you pull the carton and you, and you ship the whole carton. Excellent. Oh, I've definitely gotten those before. It's very exciting, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, because like a lot of time, it's like it's the printer packed up that carton. So it's like these books were put in this carton in China like five years ago, and now here it is at my house. This is so exciting. Right. So does every book publisher and comics publisher have a distributor, like like a dedicated distributor, like consortium? No. I, I would hazard a guess that the vast majority of... Well, I mean, I guess many, many, many comics people used Diamond. So that's probably the most broadly used by the comics industry. I think there are some that are, you know, using different types of distribution, like Consortium. And I I would say you know, maybe I can talk a little bit about what would make a, a consortium attractive to a comics publisher. Yeah, that would be great. Perfect. Um, so one of the things that, that we do is we do try to train publishers to be better publishers. So that we're, seems very useful. I mean, we're invested in our publishers doing well. And in order to do well, they have to understand you know, the process of both distribution and getting books sold and what they need to do to be more successful. So we feel like what we offer and and why a lot of small publishers come to us is we're going to help them understand the process and what they need to do. And we're going to help them get there. I think the other thing that, that we do that is a little different from most distributors is we actually have a marketing department. And while we don't ourselves, let's see, we market the publisher's books by using information that, that the publisher gives us. So we have a comics newsletter called Frame by Frame. Um, and that gives information about comics that we distribute and reviews and awards. And right now that's just coming out quarterly, but we have four other newsletters. 
a weekly communique that goes across, you know, all of our list with the with the most timely news. Kids Kaleidoscope, which is for children's books. Forgetting that. Oh, Library Express that goes directly to libraries um, that use uses information from the from the communique, and Viewfinder, which is a uh, more of a visual art photography design. Um, that's also a quarterly newsletter. So we're basically we get information about reviews, awards from our publishers, and then we put it into these newsletters and we send it out to to our list of. Um, you know, independent retailers, librarians, um, and even some, you know, some consumers. So then in addition to that, um, we also help publishers that are trying to target their marketing towards a specific audience. So we have a media database that publishers can buy into. It's one of these really expensive ones. Um, and so publishers pay a couple hundred dollars and then we can help them target their books to specific media, whether it be TV, radio, podcasts, you know, magazines, any kind of uh, online information. And we get the opportunity to, to do that. We also have all of our publishers' books on our website, so people can also access information about their books from our website. Um, we provide them with a marketing handbook, so every year we do an updated marketing handbook to tell um, publishers all the different things that they could be doing to market their books. Not everything's going to be appropriate to every publisher, but it's just information that is you know helpful to them i'm sure they're oh and we also do galley boxes so we send out um you're probably familiar with uh the aba does a a a red box and a white box and the aba for people who have never heard of this exciting abbreviation before is the american booksellers association also, I have this whole red box, white box thing. This is literally the first time I've heard of this, and I'm extremely excited. Please explain this. This sounds great. Well, well, this is uh, this is something that publishers can pay to have, um, you know, galleys. Uh, galleys go into the white box. More ephemera types of things, um, you know, brochures, calendars, um, bookmarks can go into the into the red box. And the publisher has to pay, but it goes out to a set number of, of booksellers. We basically do the same thing on a smaller scale. So we do um, five adult um, galley boxes and two children's galley boxes. And we just started doing a backlist um, box of finished books that we're using to remind booksellers about key backlist. Our galley boxes just go to about 110, um, you know, handpicked booksellers from around the country, ones that are are good accounts for us. And then publishers send us galleys. We box them up and send them out, and then we just charge the publisher um, a pro rata share of the of the freight. These are the kinds of things that we do that, um, you know, are in, in addition to the sales and, you know, the shipping and all that kind of stuff. Oh my God. I love this. I just can imagine. It seems like such a nice thing for everybody. Like, I just feel like it'd be so nice to be a bookseller. And I mean, we're all nerds. We all love books. You just open up this mystery box of like, what's going to be in this giant box of books, especially for a distributor like consortium, because you, you have such an interesting 
and very specific kind of catalog, I feel like that would be a very interesting bunch of books that people would be getting. Yeah, we've gotten really nice, nice feedback from from our, our galley boxes. And I think the publishers really appreciate the opportunity to have a targeted list to send that's cost effective for them. Um, yeah, also, it's just so overwhelming, even if it's your job to know this stuff to to really keep track of things like, you know, even just 100 bookstores, like that's a lot of bookstores. And if you're also trying to run a publisher, especially if it's a small publisher, where it's you and maybe one other person who's doing most of the work, like, maybe you don't have time to be keeping track of what the hottest independent bookstores in the country are like this year, you know, not even counting the fact that places open and close or that the staff might change or whatever, and being able to just trust your distributor to just take care of that for like, this is somebody else's job. It's somebody else's job to make all these decisions to make the best use of these expensive galleys that I had printed that I want to make sure are going to go to somebody who's actually going to read it and care about it and not just get thrown in the recycling bin immediately. Like, it just seems like you're taking a lot of stress off the shoulders of these people. We try. (laughs) So how is what you're doing different from a publisher like Scholastic or Macmillan or Harper, where you, I know you worked before? Well... uh I think the difference is they're a publisher and so they're doing a lot of things like this for their own books. I mean, that is what a publisher does. A distributor works more as a, as a partner with our distribution clients who are publishers. I think of consortium and our distribution relationship as a partnership where we're both working together to try to contribute to the success of their author's books and the ultimate success of the publishing company so they can keep publishing. So for an author looking at this publisher-distributor relationship, ideally, it sounds like if they are at a place like Iron Circus or Small Beer or Uncivilized or Akashic, they shouldn't be able to tell that their publisher has any different resources from a publisher like Random House because consortium partnering with their publisher gives them a similar amount of ways to be reaching out to all the the sales opportunities in the country. Exactly. And letting them know that some of these things even exist because there are, you know, we can let them know what can be done on Amazon. We can let them know what advertising is affordable at Ingram and Baker and Taylor. You know, I mean, it's just a lot of it is, is sharing information and best practices about, about how to do things. A couple of friends of mine have been involved in some of the smaller publishers that, uh, that you work with and have talked a little bit about how it was like a unexpectedly big shift to go from doing everything themselves to working with you. Are there things that you've noticed that publishers tend to be particularly surprised by either in a good way or a bad way by this transition into working with consortium, like things about the publishing industry or I don't know, the American library association or any number of things where they're like, I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think things like, um, the, the libraries, I think a lot of times, um, especially for comics, are is kind of a revelation because there are people, you know, within the American Library Association, you know, and across the country in, in libraries that are 
absolutely fascinated with comics that feel they're a great way that they're almost like a, a they can be a gateway drug for reading. You know, if kids don't like to to read, it's a way of getting them interested. And they're so engaged. I mean, I'm continually excited about that myself is just how engaged librarians are in in comics and um, wanting the word to get out and supporting books, you know, like Iron Circus, for example, who I think had to be prodded by them to submit as the crow flies for a stonewall. <laughs> They're looking for publishers as long as they can get the books. It's it's harder for them if you if if you don't have distribution, but they're looking for comics and they're interested in finding new comics, um, especially things that are covering, you know, diversity issues and LGBTQ. And it, it's just, it's fascinating to me um, how engaged they are um, and how much they want to find, um, you know, books for their patrons. Libraries are super great. We are going to talk about them a whole lot more in a future episode, which is going to be very good. Yes. So from the author point of things, because this is nominally a podcast about authors, are there times when you would be interacting directly with authors? Like how involved do you get in books on that level? I would say we tend not to. Authors are the province of the of the publisher. And so any recommendations that we might be making would tend to go from us to the publisher to the author. I would say the one exception is um, Winter Institute, which we attend and many of our publishers attend. It's a it's basically sort of like the biggest convention for independent booksellers out there. And we do take some publishers, authors to Winter Institute. Um, so we will take them to, say, the evening reception or a lunch reception or a breakfast. Um, and the publisher just has to supply the author. <laughs> Just, just put them in a suit, wheel them over there. Yeah. Be like, get, please wash your face, comb your hair, get into this car. We're just going to bring you to this dinner. And now you have to just behave yourself for an hour. Exactly. So that, that, or if we're doing a regional trade show, um, an author might be there. So we might um, have conversations with them about their appearance there. Or, um, I mean, I think, I think most of the consortium staff has been to an author reading at one time or another. You can't do all of them, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll show up for an author reading and, and introduce ourselves as, as the distributor. So what is a regional trade show? Extol us with the wonders of this fascinating part of the bookselling business. Well, much like the American Booksellers Association, um, there are also uh, regional book trade associations um, across the United States. So in the Midwest, it's the um, Midwest Independent Booksellers Association, MIBA. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, so there are trade shows every fall um, in different parts of the country and, um, you know, consortium displays books or our reps um, display books 
from consortium publishers. And there are also author events uh, that, that happen at these trade shows. And they're, they're usually a, a day or, or two days long. Um, and it's just an opportunity for reps, for booksellers, um, and, and for, you know, for authors to meet and greet. And there's, there's usually educational activities as well, along with the trade show. This is like backing up a little bit, but like it, a lot of, obviously, as we, you said earlier, you're mostly dealing with publishers, obviously not specific authors. Um, and you talked a little bit about how part of what you're doing is just sort of like this onboarding process of publishers understanding how you work and you explaining things to them about your system and filling them in on publishing industry stuff they might not have known. But like before you get to that point, um, I mean, obviously this is like a really intense relationship you're having with these people. You have to be selling their books. You have to be trusting them to, for instance, actually publish the books they say they're going to publish and have their authors show up to events they said they're going to show up to. So it's like a big thing. And as you said, you're partners in this. So what's the process of getting to work with a publisher? It sounds like it's kind of like it would be sort of like a job interview, but also kind of like a date. Like, how does this work? Well, um, I mean, it, it works a couple of different ways. Um, you know, there are, there are people who just apply. Um, you know, they, they send a, a letter or a note of inquiry or they look on our website, which tells people how, how to apply. Um, and, you know, we, we take a, a look at that and, and decide whether, whether this is somebody we think we might want to talk to further. We also do outreach ourselves to specific publishers that we're interested in. And, you know, when there's an agreement that there's an interest on both sides, we send what we call a publisher questionnaire and we ask them to fill out information um, about their publishing program. Um, either they're current or planned, if it's like a startup. And we ask them to send us sample books, uh, marketing plan, you know, and or a business plan. We don't often get a business plan, I have to say. but uh, <laughs> um, And then when we have all the information, uh, we sit down with a team at consortium from the various departments, from sales, marketing, publisher service operations, and we talk about, you know, the publisher and their their books and what are the positives, what are the negatives, um, how do we think they'll fit with the rest of our, our publishers. And um, if there's more questions, we send questions back about it. Uh, you know, otherwise we tell them, you know, they're, they're in and we begin the process of working with them. From your perspective, what makes you really excited to work with a publisher? Like, what do you what are you looking for when you're looking for people to partner with in this way? Well, I'm I mean I'm a sucker for good design, you know. So I, I love seeing a, a well designed book. I like seeing something that I haven't seen before. You know, if it's well well executed, we've taken on um, a lot of like literature and translation, for example, and. So having books that are from different countries, um, I think, is really excited, you know, if they're well translated, um, just because I think it's a different it's a different point of view. So I I like looking at things that are that are fresh and different or that 
the the publisher has a very specific point of view about what they're what they're trying to accomplish with their publishing program you know what they're engaged with what they're excited about and conveying that excitement to all of us at, at consortium i mean i'm i'm very much taken with people's enthusiasm particularly if it's backed up with some knowledge <laughs> <laughs> You know, because enthusiasm can only take you so far. I mean, it's really hard because, you know, you want somebody who has a certain amount of business acumen, you know, and because you want them to stay in business. So having some understanding, you know, of the business, you know, is is helpful. So when we take a startup, if it's somebody who's worked in magazines and books or in bookstores and has contacts and also knows how to market books. Um, that's also, I think, really crucial because you can have the best ideas in the world. But if you don't know how to market your books, um, you're going to have a really hard time getting off the ground. So about how many publishers do you work with? We have about 145 publishers. Gosh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, but... They're all very different. I mean, we literally have, you know, I would say about 25% of the publishers are are publishers that have been with us for a long time. So what happens with some publishers is they're only ever going to do what they're going to do. They sort of reach a certain level and they're not going to go out of business, but they're not ambitious enough to change much about what they're doing. And, you know... I don't, we don't push publishers out unless it's either become a really dysfunctional relationship or it, it doesn't work financially at all anymore. So there are just these different, you know, tiers of publisher, for lack of another, a better word, that work at different levels. And each level requires um, different support from our staff. At the top end, you know, those are the ones, it's a combination of, they are probably the best functioning, um, you know, publishers because they really they really know what they're doing, and when they're asking for our help with things, they know exactly what they want, and you know we're going to put that time and energy into helping them, you know, get where they want to go. So it's just it's just a range of of publishers and publisher needs. So you know, there's a fair amount of you know f- flexibility in terms of how how we can support them. So are there things that authors do that make you really excited to be promoting their books? Are there things you see them or you get the the bulletin from the publishers and you're like, yes, this thing that the author did was so good and it's going to be super helpful? Oh, absolutely. Authors can do themselves, uh, you know, a, a great deal of service. I mean, and it's hard because not everybody's built this way, but if they're promotional minded, so obviously, if they're on social media, if they have a social media following, I mean, we just see the difference when authors engage um, in in that way. Um, it make it makes a big difference, and then it makes it easy to get excited about because you know that they're doing their part. You know, you're not out there trying to make stuff happen. You know, and the author isn't doing their part. In the best situations, it's really exciting. And when you get to see somebody in action, it's one of the fun things about going to Winter Institute 
because that is where I'll oftentimes get to meet, you know, an author. And when you see them engage, you know, with an audience and they're excited to talk about their book and what they're doing and it's, you know, it's kind of magical to, be, to behold because you're you're seeing an extension of their book is is them making connections. And it's, you know, it's one of the things that I've always admired about so many of comics producers is they're not all good at it, but they tend to have to engage, particularly because, um, you know, I mean, almost all of our comics uh, folks, you know, go to the shows. So they're talking to people and they're building an audience for their books. And I, you know, I, it's important that I admire that. Yeah, by the time you guys started working with Spike, she'd been hand-selling comics to people for at least, God, probably 15 years at that point, so. Yeah. You know, people like Tom, the people at 2D Cloud, like, all of them, too. I definitely see them around all over the place. So, but this is really interesting, because it sounds like something that gets you and your team excited is the publisher and the author being engaged and excited and invested, which is great because that's something that I think people can pretty easily do for their book. It's <laughs> yes. not like, you know, getting Neil Gaiman to give them a blurb or, you know, selling 100,000 copies their first week. Like being excited on the internet is a thing that just about everyone feels that they can manufacture. Absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's the simplest thing that that you can do that along and making sure that you have a, a good cover on your book. And <laughs> <laughs> well, and comics creators are responsible for that themselves too. So, for better uh, or for worse, you have a lot of control over that. Yes. So. Good covers, good excitement and investment, and it sounds like you are good to go at Consortium. Man, so my plan of just hiding in a hole until my book comes out sounds like not a good plan. I guess I have to, God, I have to just keep staying on the internet. I'd really like to go into my stress bomb shelter, but instead I will continue tweeting somehow. Yes, yes. Is there anything else that you really wish that the authors whose books you're distributing understood about distributors? Well, it's a, it, since we don't work as directly with with authors, um, hard hard to say. I think, again, it, it just really goes back to if, if the author is partners with their publisher and their publisher is a good partner with us, I think good things are more likely to happen. So if you're thinking about where you want to get your book published and you're talking to your potential publisher and they're a jerk who's hard to work with, that might continue to be a problem in other areas. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we've always tried, you know, tried hard to work with people that we like um, as much as possible. And it may mean that we're smaller than some other distributors out there. You know, working with only 145 publishers. <laughs> well, you know, there's a distributor out there that has 1,100 publishers. So relatively speaking, it's not as much as, as you would think. So it's a smaller family, but it's a happy family. Exactly. 
So are there times when you get a book, you're kind of like, oh, this book, I guess it will do all right. And as the book comes out and, you know, goes into its first year or second year, that changes? And how do you how do you deal with that? Uh, you know, we talked about awards already, which are a major way this happens. But is there another kind of reason or situation where this might occur? Um, usually it has to do with a publicity hit of, of some sort. You know, something has to happen to, you know, push that title up to people's consciousness again, particularly if it's been out for a little while. So usually there's a there's a very specific thing, you know, that that happens around that. Sometimes it could be course adoption, um, you know, can help push a title out there also. And that usually takes at least a year for, you know, professors to sort of discover a book and decide to add it to their syllabus. So course adoption is one thing. Um, But other than that, I would say it's really much more publicity. I mean, we've tried a lot of different ways to try to promote titles. And there are so many titles that I've absolutely loved that went nowhere. And it's very hard to resurrect it later. I mean, so much needs to happen on the front end. You know, it needs to have the reviews. It needs to, you know, be marketed by the publisher. The, you know, author needs to do their their part. Otherwise, it, it tends to be difficult, you know, or if it's a series and, you know, and it can take a while for a series to to take off. So if people are listening to this and um, excited to turn from firefighting ballerinas into distributors in their their middle age, what do you think that people need to know and have experience with to become good distributors? It helps to have a background in, in books. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of stuff happens with, you know, spreadsheets. And so having uh, computer literacy, I would say, is is important these days. Uh, we have a very team-oriented approach at uh, Consortium. Um, we are not a place for prima donnas. So you can be weird. We don't have a problem with weird. Uh, <laughs> oh, that will work for comics people really well. Yeah. But you do need to be able to work with with other people constructively. I mean, I think that's that's pretty much paramount. And I mean, we've got a real range of people at at consortium from people who come in as sales assistants, um, and then we have people who have been um, at consortium for thirty years. It's so nice, also, because I think that I mean, honestly listening to this podcast would not help with this impression a lot of the time, but um, there can be this feeling that if you want to be involved in like the beating heart of publishing, you basically have to live in New York. And it's really great to be reminded that there's like really interesting, important companies that are teams of people doing really great stuff with big, important books that are based in other cities that might work better with other people's lives. Not everybody wants to live in Manhattan and deal with the subway every day. So it's nice to hear that your your team takes care of each other. It's like, it sounds like a lovely place to work. Honestly, we talked to your coworker Tucker yes. a few weeks ago, and he also is lovely. So, so that's two for two so far. Well, I, it's one of the things that makes me the proudest of, of consortium is that we do have a really good team that works really hard and works well together. Actually, I have no idea. How big of a company are you? Like how many people do you have like in your office? We have uh, 16 people in our office. And then I have one, um, one person who's in London. 
See, that's great, because that's enough people that if somebody's annoying you, you can get away from them for a few days, but yes. a small enough group of people that it's, like, cozy. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Julie, where can people find you and Consortium online if they're now wanting to look you up? Um, I'm not really much of one for uh, for social media personally, Um but you can certainly uh, reach us um, through our, our website, uh, cbsd.com. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not that hard to find if you, you know, if you look for me. <laughs> if they great. contact the website and say, say hi to Julie, she was great, that will, that message will get to you. Yes. <laughs> I kind Amazing. of want somebody to do that now. That's very charming. <laughs> Slow Twitter. <laughs> Slow Twitter. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us, Julie. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Graphic Novel TK. We are so excited to have been uncovering the mysteries of distribution today. Up next, we're going to talk more about media. How do reviewers decide to review books? And how do they hear about books? More on this to come. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at Graphic Novel TK or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com.